is October 31, 2022, and welcome to episode 144 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. Today, we're going to talk about COP27. What is COP27? COP27 is the conference of parties that discusses every year the U.N. climate change agenda. Uh, next week, COP27 will occur in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, and we can expect about 12 or 13 days of news and conversation about climate change and what the world is doing about it. China, interestingly, is the world's biggest polluter. It is two or three times bigger than the second biggest polluter, which is the United States. If you look at overall at the numbers, China produces almost half of the carbon emissions that are impacting climate change in this world. One of the things that we will see next week and that we will hear is a lot of discussion about how the U.S. needs to do more. I think this is a mirage. In fact, the U.S. has a good plan on climate change. We're making progress. Our emissions are pointed in the right direction. We're likely to meet most of our targets for 2030 and beyond. China, however, has no plan to reduce emissions, is still building coal-fired power plants. Uh, almost half of the coal-fired power plants in the world are being built by China. There is no plan for China to reduce its emissions by 2030. So the real issue, which is the behavior of the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government, won't be discussed next week. Jamil. You know, let's look, I think part of the problem here is not just China. It's all these climate folks who are like, hey, you know what we should do? We should all get on big jumbo jets and fly to Sharm el-Sheikh and pollute the environment as we go to talk about polluting the environment. I mean, look. You're right. The U.S. is a big polluter, sure, when it comes to carbon. China consumes five times as much coal as India, six times as much coal as the United States. They're building half the world's coal-fired plants. It just approved in the first quarter alone 8.6 gigawatts of new coal-fired energy. The idea that we're going to go to Sharm el-Sheikh and wring our hands about how mean and terrible the U.S. and the Europeans are without talking about China and without holding China accountable is ridiculous. Okay, so I'm going to cut in as someone who knows that Jamil Jaffer flew to L.A. to see the Rams-Niners game just for the game. Also, the Niners won. Uh, You guys can't see this, but we're wearing our respective team gear. Um, and I'm going to be, I think, the optimist in the group as the youngest. Um, I will I will look to the positives of COP27 because I think there's a lot going on there that's beyond the U.S.-China conversation. Um, we know one of the goals is talking about adaptation. There are about 30, you know, 3 billion people who live in these countries that are highly vulnerable to the impact of climate change. We've got over 33 million people displaced by floods alone in Pakistan. So there's going to be a lot of conversation about how we can support, how countries can lead, invest, technology sharing partnerships to help these countries in these huge amounts of populations that are impacted by climate change. Jones, I just want to point out um, the Niners may have beaten the Rams, but they lost to the Bears. So uh, <laughs> we track that. I am going to jump in here because the Niners may have won yesterday and they went a lot through the regular season. They cannot make it happen during the playoffs. Back to foreign policy. We won last year, went to the Super Bowl. Sad for the Niners. Yeah, Jamil, the the Rams are going to have to actually make it to the playoffs. What are they now, three and five? Doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Okay, so the point on COP27 is exactly that, Jones. We're going to get distracted by these larger global issues and the, and the rhetoric surrounding climate change and everyone having to pose for holy pictures. The real issue is the behavior of China. If we want to do something about protecting the vulnerable in the developing world, those who are at risk from 
uh, drought and flood and that kind of thing. We have to call out what is the real issue, which is the behavior of China. We're not going to be willing to do it next week. I think we need to recontextualize the conversation and start talking about the real problem here, which is Beijing. Okay, but who disagrees with that? Of course, we should talk about China. Of course, China should be called out less. But is it just right? I mean, that look, even if China did nothing more, if the U.S. and Europe were to cut our emissions significantly, right, that would help the environment. It would make the, the world a safer, a better place, a more livable place. It, it might not have a measurable, it might not change the whole, you know, tides rising situation, but it made things marginally better, right? Of course, the thing we're not talking about, though, is what impact does doing that have on our economy, on the economy of Europe, on the economy of the United States, particularly at a time when our economy is going to hell and the Fed continues to raise rates and, and gas prices and milk prices are going up. I think that's the real conversation we should be having. And yes, we got to talk about China, but we got to talk about what are the what are the upsides and downsides of what we're doing? Funny enough, I thought Jamil was actually just going to agree with me, and then he started to, to disagree. Um, so I, I agree in the point that like I we should call it China, we should call it bad actors. But let's see the upside. You know, the recent our emissions are pointing the right way because we just had COVID, where people sat at home for two years and didn't do anything. We had the Trump administration leave the Paris Agreement. We finally had the Inflation Reduction Act. We're actually making positive investments towards climate, you know, energy security. This is a new trend. This this hasn't been the trend for the last couple of months. Oh, I see a lot of disagreement amongst the folks on the show. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we can we can talk about the Trump administration pulling out of the Paris Accord. We can talk about Obama going in and Biden going back in. Frankly, what we really ought to do is submit it to the Senate as a treaty for approval and get some real buy-in from Congress. That would actually change the flipping back and forth between the administrations, if that's what you're worried about. If we don't do that, we can expect it to flip back and forth for the foreseeable future. I, I actually, mm. as much as I hate Les's constant, like, I got to go to Congress on everything, I think he's right on this one, which is to say that part of the reason that the Iran nuclear deal failed was because we kept coming. We're going in and out of it because Congress didn't endorse it. The same is true on Paris. If we want a sustainable commitment to these things, the president has got to go get the buy in of, of, of members of Congress and the people's representatives. He's never done that. And I say he because it was President Obama, President Biden and, and President Clinton before that. Right. This is a fail. If we don't go to Congress, I actually I never agree with less on this stuff. And he's right on this one. President Somehow Biden. We is still got the Iran deal in, by the way. Like, just we're talking energy security, and Iran deal comes on into the combo, waiting for it. Minutes. It's ago. all related, Jones. <laughs> Let's talk about the other aspect of COP27, which is the subtext of the U.S.-China bilateral relationship. The U.S. is coming off elections next week, or will be coming off elections. Rada Sharm El Sheikh is happening. The president's party is likely to lose several seats in the House and the Senate. Uh, of course, Xi Jinping is coming off having been anointed by himself for a third unprecedented third term as China's leader. He's consolidated power in himself. The, what's really going to be happening in COP27 is we will see the U.S. and China engage with each other for the first time after these two events and posturing for the, the way forward. One of the things that I hope we will see is the U.S. not being willing to let China recontextualize climate change discussions in some sort of uh, global developed world versus developing world and instead be held to account for its own behavior. I mean, that's the whole problem here is this is just another game of Charlie Brown and Lucy that we keep playing with not just China, but with Iran and with Russia, where we say we, they set us up and say, oh, well, you know, if you do X, we'll do Y. If you don't criticize us on Taiwan, if you don't go after us on Hong Kong, if you if you let us intern a million Muslims, by the way, all of which they've done, 
we'll work with you on climate change. Just like the Russians said, oh, you know, if you don't help the Ukrainians too much, we won't invade. I mean, this whole thing is ridiculous, right? We've got to stop playing Charlie Brown to the world's Lucy and be adults, grow up, be serious, and just call out countries for what they're doing, call the Chinese for what they're doing, be more aggressive. The president did it early on, called it a genocide. He hasn't done it since. Let's call what's happening to Muslims in the Xinjiang province genocide. Let's keep talking about it, and let's hold China to account on climate, on human rights, on democracy, and on their threats to Taiwan. Well, I think calling out China is right. I think there's, like I said earlier, I think COP27, it's not a human rights for it. Like, that's not what we're discussing here. We're discussing, discussing climate change. And so I think there's a lot of progress that can be made if we step aside for a second and focus on what is the task at hand in Egypt. Oh, look, I, I get it, Jess. You, you, we want to divide and divide things up. But here's the thing. We can't divide China's bad behavior on Taiwan, Hong Kong, and its treatment of its own people and its export of global oppression from its bad behavior on climate. Dividing up is a, is a terrible idea. It's weak sauce. It's what the administration loves to do, box things into little, little spaces and ignore the real big issues going on in our relationship. So I hear you. I'm not saying climate change doesn't matter. I'm saying we got to make this all, we got to bring it all together. We're way too willing to let everyone's concern about the climate be cover for China's bad behavior. John Kerry's the poster. Who cares about the future of the environment? You're right. It's just cover. Not a big deal. (laughs) President Biden is going to go to Sharm el-Sheikh. He's going to make a big show about his words there and his rhetoric and his posturing. He ought to use it for good, which is to address the behavior of China instead of posing for holy pictures on climate change issues, where we're actually pointed in the right direction. That's my final thought. What are these holy pictures thing? I don't know what you're talking about, Les. What, what holy pictures? I what think there's, there's uh, particularly in the president's party, there is a value to going out and saying things on climate change that gets support from their base. The problem is that rhetoric and that posturing doesn't actually help solve the problem. If you really want to solve the problem, you have to call out the behavior of the bad actors that's that's Beijing. I mean, you mean like you mean like President Trump going to do rallies on the election on elections not being real like that? Come on. I, I don't know why any of this has anything to do with Trump or his views on elections, which are which are odious. But uh, if you say so, I'm just saying political posturing. It's not it's not just Democrats. Right. We do it, too. Right. And we're going to see it next week by our president in Sharm el Sheikh. And I'm saying let's recontextualize. Let's do the right thing. Let's actually have an impact on the issue at hand. Jess, you get the last word. I'm looking forward to seeing what progress is made at COP27 next week to see how Jamil Jaffer and Les Munson are wrong. (laughs) That's a wrap. Thanks to Gabriel Otis from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us again this upcoming Wednesday for the next installment of Fault Lines, our podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debates shaking up America.